0: Amen. Good morning, Calvary. Good morning to our podcast listeners as well. We just concluded a series, as Chris was alluding to earlier, um, called Pray Like This. And as we were wrapping up that Pray Like This series, we were talking about lead us not to temptations. If you weren't here last week, here's what we talked about. That temptations aren't the sin, but temptations are the thing that we flirt with And thus causing us to sin. So we described a sin line. There's a sin line here. So what often, often happens is we sit there and go, not sinning. Not sinning. How did I end up? Oh, I sinned. How did that happen, right? So last week we asked you to ask yourself, what is the wise thing to do? But today I want us to go a little deeper. We're going to spend the next three weeks kind of talking about the problem of why we sin. We say, Daniel, you covered that last week. And and I did in a sense, but I want to go to a different level and a different place in in a way that maybe you've not always thought about. Let me put it to you like this way. Have you ever really thought why you sin? Well, I just did what God told me not to do. That's why I sinned. Good. Very, very good. But here's what I want to propose. Most people do not lie because they want to lie. They lie because they don't want to tell the truth. And the reason they don't want to tell the truth is caused by an underlying issue. In other words, if you set up and ask a six-year-old, do you want to be a liar? They would inevitably and hopefully say, no, I do not want to be a liar. And then you go, are you telling the truth? We may never know. But that's another story. Most people do not want to go around being liars. So why do they lie? It's because there's something else going on there. And I think that's true with a lot of sins. So we're going to be describing this new series like this. When I was in second grade, my teacher was Mrs. White. And I remember going out to a May playground day. Teachers in the room, you know what a May playground day is? It means like three-hour recess, right? Right. And three-hour recess at that time, it was Texas, and I remember it was like 102 degrees. It was hot. The ground in Texas was—it hadn't rained, and so the ground was cracked open. That's why they don't grow cro- crops there. They grow cattle, and, you know, that's another story. story. And it was just really parched land. And I looked up one time while I was playing on the playground on this day, and I noticed smoke. And when I noticed the smoke, I thought to myself, Self, what is going on with this smoke? And so I did what any good second grader would do. I went to explore. And when I got really close to the smoke, I don't know how it was started. It may have been a teenager smoking, who knows what it was. But when I looked over, I saw that there wasn't just a little smoke, but there was quite a bit of a fire going on on our playground. So I was in second grade. And I reacted like all my friends. Because when I looked around, here's what I looked around to see. A playground full of second graders going, There's a fire! There's a fire! There's a fire over there, right? Y'all don't like that was, that was my best right there. <laughs> and I was like, what do we do? And I remember Miss White going, Okay, boys and girls, come on over, come on over here. And then guess what happened? The fire truck showed up. This is so cool. And like the firemen had to put out they had their gear on and then they like had to attach the hose and they put out the fire, which caused a lot more smoke, right? And I think what we don't understand a lot is this is how the people in our lives approach and view church. Say, what are you talking about? By the time they recognize that there is smoke, the fire is already going. By the time that you have sinned, the fire has already been brewing. By the time we notice smoke, the fire is usually already raging. So, in order to fight the smoke, we have to prevent the fire from kindling. And here's what happens far too often. Hey, Pastor, my life's a mess. Fix it. Be the fire extinguisher. Help me to put it out. And the church can be full of people who are acting, myself occasionally as well, right? Like the second grader, like we're, we're, we don't know what to do. And we're looking for the adults to call the fire department. We're looking for the fire department to show up. And my life is on fire. Somebody put it out. And we will help you as best we can. But it would help a whole lot more if the fire never started. And that's the point of this series. In doing so, we're going to be looking at Matthew five, which is the chapter before we've been looking through. We're going to be looking at the six antithesis statements of Jesus, or another per- way to put, it, the six sins that religious people thought they were obeying, and Jesus told them they weren't. And I think this is important because what Jesus is talking to them at the time is he's saying the things that you think you're doing, that you think make you so holy and righteous, are actually undermining the very sense of who I am. And who I was called to be. In Matthew 5.20, he tells them this pretty much. When he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, who are the Pharisees? We've been through this before. The Pharisees were fair, you see. Because they believed that God was good and holy, and they believed in another life, but they really fooled themselves into thinking they were holier than thou. Does that ever sound like people in the church? You don't have to answer that because you know, that's kind of convicting. And the scribes were like your Sunday school teachers or your small group leaders or you know, you. And he said basically, unless the person, you're more holy than the person next to you, you're not going to heaven, which that sounds both scary and okay, I can do that because I know their life, right? But what he's really saying there is it's not a list of what we do and don't do. He really wants us to understand the nature of who he wants us to be. And so this next six weeks, we're going to look at these statements and really understand the heart of what the gospel or the good news of Jesus is really all about. And the first two deal with sins from within. Matthew 5, 21 through 22 um, is the first one. Right after he said, Unless you surpass your righteousness of the Pharisees or of the scribes or of the other holy people in the church, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He starts by saying, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder. And I right there, they're sitting there going, Yeah, that's true, Jesus. I'm not a murderer. I'm pretty holy, right? Hopefully you feel that way too. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. Still good. Thanks. But I tell you, Everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. And whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. Now, there's three different things he says there. And then he goes on and says, basically, if your relationship is bad with your brother or sister, before you worship God, go make that right. Otherwise, you are under the wrath of God. Isn't that fun? Make restitution. Make the relationship right. And I think that we look at this and we sit there and go, what's he really talking about? Why is he associating murder with those things? Okay, I would just like to remind you, you are capable of murder. Say, I'm really not. Yeah, you are. If someone broke into your house, you don't think you could kill them? Some of you are like, yeah. Some of you are like, no. Some of you are like, there is no way. I'm the most pacifist, pacifist person in the world. Someone's going to attack your baby. Are you going to sit there and watch them? You are capable of any sin. And by understanding that we are capable of sin, that help guards us from the kindling growing. But it's not just murder, because if I said to you, don't murder, some of you, most of you, hopefully all of you go, got that. Not going to do that. But what causes a person to murder? The headlines recently have been, at least in the Christian world, I don't know that you've seen this, but there's a famous pastor, once again, not super famous, so not everyone has seen this, but who's been accused of trying to hire a hitman to kill someone a pastor now I don't think he went into ministry and I don't know if he actually did or not but let's let's say he was guilty of this if he was guilty of this I don't think he went into ministry thinking boy I'm going to hire a hitman someday and kill somebody right if not that's the world's worst pastor so what causes the person to do that Well, so often what we talk about here is if you're sinning, don't do the opposite and and that's how you find the truth. So in order to stop lying, you have to... It's not that hard, people. In order to stop lying, you have to... But if we don't know why we're lying from the beginning, it's not so easy to always tell the truth. So the reason someone murders is because they allow the anger to kindle. What causes the anger in your life? They didn't do what I wanted them to do. (laughs) Don't know how I laugh like that. Probably never done that before in my life. And this would be the podcast episode, right? I don't know where this came from. I don't know why I'm so mad. And we don't often think about it. We just go on and go, God, I'm sorry I was angry, and move on. But in the act of murder... Anger is the kindling. Let's look at the next example. Matthew 5, 27-30. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. Go ask a bride on her wedding day. Do you expect to commit an affair? Go ask a groom. Let's hope that 99.9% of the people on their wedding day are saying, no, I'm not going to have an adulterous affair. Right? But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery within his or her heart. If your right hand causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. You all have your eyes. This is a holy crowd. <laughs> for it is better for you to lose one part of the body for your, than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Once again, y'all are outstandingly holy. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for the whole body to go to hell. Hell. What's he really talking about, and why don't we actually chop off our hands, or our arms, or gouge our eyes out? By the way, there are some people who teach that you actually should do that. Don't believe that that's a cult, okay? The reality is what he's talking about here is that when you have the lust of sin, when you have the sin of lust in your life, there is something, there is smoke that is billowing out of a flame that has been enraging in your heart. What does the flame look like? Well, it could be selfishness, a gratification, the desire to feel accepted, the desire to feel loved, the desire to feel desired. Who doesn't have that? But ultimately, lust is kindled by a void of the dignity that you have in your own life. I'm not talking appropriate uh, cross gender uh, attraction. You know, there's a reason you got married to your spouse, that's normal. But lust is the, can I use a word that's a kind of awkward word? The ogling, the visual ogling, the, the I want, I deserve, uh, robbing the other person of their human dignity and seeing them in a form of flesh. Right? Is not holy. Because in that moment, what you're doing is you're saying, there's something in me that needs to be filled, and I see it in you, and you're going to give it to me to fill the void in my life. So why does Jesus say this sin risks us going to hell? Because it's not understanding the gospel. It's making life about you. It's realizing that your peace should be rested in the fact that Jesus came and died for your sins. then you can have a relationship with him. And this is where we'll find holiness and hope and joy and peace, love, joy, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So the sins that are inward, are really addressing in these two sins, the things that rob us of our emotional intimacy with God and with others. Here's the ironic part of these sins. We sin looking for the things that are ultimately just a bad substitute for the reality of what we were made for. Example. Let's say I just ran a a marathon. I mean, y'all can tell I could do that, right, on a bike or, okay, a car. But I could definitely go in a marathon. And let's say I ran a marathon, 26 point something miles. I don't know. I quit counting after mile three feet. So the reality is if I came in after running a marathon and I didn't drink a lot of water and I didn't prehydrate and let's say I somehow miraculously filled it and I walked in, and I go, someone give me a Coke Zero. (sighs) I need the caffeine, Right? And so then I go down and I go to Circle K Because I like Circle K, I know the people there And and I walk in and and I go Small cup, not good enough for me Big cup, get off my table Oh, sorry (laughs) (laughs) Get off my table Uh, Extra large, nope, I want the big old They have them in there They're like $2.49, not that I've asked They're, They're this big plastic refillable cups That comes with like a straw That's big enough, right To fit down the chimney of your house Right And I go and I go, fill it up with Coke Zero because I'm dehydrated. You're like, yeah, you're going to (laughs) die. But there's water in Coke Zero. Y'all do know that, right? I mean, pretty sure. (laughs) It's a liquid. It should satisfy my thirst. But it doesn't. Why? Because water is the only true thing that will satisfy your thirst when you're dehydrated. But this is how we approach sin. I'm longing, I'm thirsty, I'm dehydrated spiritually, I'm, I need a substitute. This looks close enough to what I actually need. Let me take it in. Let me give you another example. Andy Stanley in his book Deep and Wide describes the time a lady came to his office and she was real upset because Her husband had left her for a younger another woman because he told her he didn't want to have children um, that were a certain age, and he was done and tired of raising the kids, like every woman's biggest fear, right? And then he said, he looked across the table at her, and he said the following to her, boy, I feel sorry for him. And she was probably thinking at that moment, what did you say? You feel sorry for him, but he left me? And he goes, yeah, because what he doesn't realize is he's marrying the younger woman, who's, what's she going to want in about five years? Kids. And he's going to find that he's going to be going through the same cycle again and the same misery and the same longing and the same desire, and he's going to be miserable. And he says, she went, good! (laughs) And he goes, that's not what I was hoping for at that moment. But the reality is that when sin creeps in, the reason it creeps in is because we don't know what really will satisfy us. When what we are looking for and what we substitute for the place of God—that's meant to come in—ultimately leads us to our destruction. Let me give you another one: teenage smoking. So we're like, "Are you going there?" Okay. When I was 13 years old, I went to kind of a rough middle school. Everybody smoked because it was, you know, a long time ago, and and the people were smoking. But you know, I had some friends who started smoking, and I remember having this conversation with them when they were 13 years old, and they were going like this: "How's the smoking going?" <coughs> this is so good i love it yeah. i've never met a 13 year old who started smoking who thought to themselves boy i'm real this is amazing i've met a few people who smoked pipes like the first time they did it they were like this is awesome but i've never met a person who the from the first time they took a drag off a cigarette was like i love it so why do you smoke because it's healthy by the way, I'm not dogging anybody who smokes because I drink a lot of Coke Zero in here, okay? But what I am saying is why do we do that? Because we, well, there's a fear of missing out. There's the idea of, I'm the rebel. <laughs> Take that, mom and dad. Um, or maybe it's like peer pressure I want to be in the cool gang. Or maybe you remember Clark Gable. And that makes you really old, but that's another story. Um, The reality is there's some, so you're like, who, Clark Gable? Never mind. Um, The reality is what we're doing in this understanding is we're trying to say, okay, why do we do these things that ultimately damage us? You see, the Pharisees, going back to the story, thought if they could act good, then they were good. But they didn't really understand the issue of the underlying reality of why God says do and why God says don't. He doesn't say do and don't because he wants you to have a miserable time and miss out on what all the cool kids are doing. He says do and don't because he doesn't want you to be the guy dehydrated after a marathon because you're drinking Coke Zero. Do you actually believe that God wants to give you your best fulfillment of life? Do you believe that in trusting in him and in trusting in his ways, this is where you're actually going to find dignity? There are issues of the heart. And what we have to do is we have to get to the basic core of our soul that longs to be filled with God. We have to ask ourselves why we do what we do, because where there's smoke, there's a fire. And when we notice the fire, maybe we need to pause, but maybe, just maybe, we can stop the fire before it ever starts, and maybe we can start looking at the issues that maybe none of those other issues have really targeted you, and maybe these will. Maybe when you're the person who is struggling with anger, you need to realize it's not everyone else's fault, but anger is really something that comes out of your heart because life isn't going the way that you think it should go, and you think you're entitled to that, and everybody else is to blame. Okay, I'm going to look down my iPad now. <laughs> maybe, just maybe, we worry because we fear the future being worse than now and we don't really know how to be settled where we are. Maybe, just maybe, because we have addictions, because we use them as an escape from the life we're in and we're not satisfied where we are. Maybe we fall into greed because... If we can just have enough stuff, we can find the security we're longing for. Maybe we fall for adultery because he or she will finally make me feel special, needed, or valued the, the way that I thought my spouse would make me feel, and then life happened. Hello, kids. Maybe, just maybe, lying and gossip is a way that we use to fool others into liking us more because we don't even like ourselves And we need others' validation to make us feel at peace and so on and so on. All the while, we in the church are practicing some of these things, fooling ourselves into acting the part of the believer because we need to feel like we are holy even so we can feel worthy to be loved by God because we don't really think he loves us unless we are holier than the other people and thus acting holier than the other people in the room. Can I just give you the freedom to know None of us are holy, but God. When Jesus died on the cross for you and for me, he said, come back into a relationship with me. Get your dignity back. Find your value, find your peace, find your restoration. I know you're a sinner. I know your works are never gonna be good enough, but stop trying to fill the void that was made for a relationship with me with all this stuff. Maybe we need to realize why our churches are suffering is because we know we're supposed to be something that we can't live up to be. So we put on our mask and as a pastor or a personnel team member or a Celebrate Recovery attender, as a person in the parking lot or just someone who showed up randomly today, we we desperately want for someone to go, you are enough. Son or daughter, you are. And not by any measure of what I can say or what I can give you, but his name is Jesus and he made you to be with him. And what would it look like if our churches really stood aside as Matt Chandler said in one of his recently sermons and and said we have to understand that the church really isn't about engaging Jesus with the best part of us. But somewhere down the line, we need to understand in the crevices of our soul that we may not have even looked at ourselves lest we find and be scared what we find. That's where Jesus wants to go. He doesn't want to just take the best of you. He wants to look down in the fire that is starting to kindle that's taking you away from the presence and the power of God. Oh, God wants to go in the part of you that you don't want to look into and dig into that and allow out of the ashes of the smoldering embers of your soul to allow new life to grow. Do you believe in the power of that God? It's not an act. It's Jesus. And the danger is we keep fooling ourselves as Proverbs 21, two says, all a person's ways seem right to him, But the Lord weighs his hearts. <laughs> Your heart will sometimes convince you you're okay. I'm not a murderer. I just have a little anger problem. I'm not an adulterer. I just like to stare a little longer than I should. Women, you do it too, I know. I'm not a, I'm not a worrier, I just, I just like to, to know that things are going to be okay. I'm not a perfectionist, I just believe in excellence. <laughs> yes. All you are wrong. Your heart will convince you you're okay, and after all, you're, we're taught by our society that if your heart feels a way, then go that way. So well, here's the problem: Your heart can lead you away from Jesus. Maybe that's why in Luke 10:25 through27, an expert in the law stood to test Him, saying, "Teacher to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law?" He asked him, "How do you read it?" And he answered, "Love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and, and love your neighbor as yourself." Could it be so simple? to fall so in love with God that it's not about the act, it's not about the performance, it's not about the I've gotta confess every single thing. Yes. But at the end of the day, ultimately it's not about you when we approach the the good news of what Jesus is about and go what's in it for me that's a kid's second grader like I need an adult to keep me out of the fire mentality but as we grow in our faith we begin to, to understand that the gospel is ultimately about bringing glory to his name to his renown trusting in him letting go and dying of ourselves and saying God what you want I want and if at the end of the day our gospel is about self-gratification. And self-gratification is what we worship. And we are not living the gospel. We are acting like the Pharisees, fooling ourselves into thinking we are living the righteous life while missing out on the abundance of life that was promised to us. The gospel, the relationship we have with Jesus, is where we will find contentment. So what do we do? How do we come to a place where we wrestle with the things and and don't just sit there and go, well, God loves me, woohoo! Guess I got nothing to work on. Or balance that out with the attitude of I've got to earn. You can't. But I want to instead ask us to go back to where we started To truly love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength means that you recognize God's love for you. And the reason that we don't recognize God's love for us is we don't spend the time thinking on how God needs to fill the longings of our life and give those longings to Him. So here is something I want to ask you to do, and I want to challenge you to do, and I rarely say this, but if you practice this, it will revolutionize your life. And I got news for you. A lot of you aren't going to do it because it's hard. Challenge issued. You're supposed to go in your heart, challenge, accept it right now. If you do this, it will not only revolutionize your life, but your understanding of how to live for God, and it will change the relationships you have, whether you are married, whether you are dating, whether you are single and loving it, or single and hating it. It's going to change your life. It's going to change your friendships, it's going to change your life because the gospel will no longer be centered on you why? Because you will understand what it means to be fully loved by the power of God because you're going to let the darkness of your life, the ashes be replaced with abundant growth of the power of who Jesus is. You ready? Here's our Monday morning application this week. When you practice confessions your sins, when you practice confessing your sins this week, don't just confess them. God, I'm sorry I lied. Forgive me. That's the easy way out. I want when you practice your confessions of sins, take the time and try to analyze what caused you to lie in the beginning. Or whatever the sin is. Dig deep. And give that over to God. Because when you sin, there's a fire. And we're going to put the fire out. You can't just put out smoke. You know why the churches are hypocritical and struggling? We're trying to put out smoke. You got to put out the fire. Now hear me. We have ways to help you. We have staff that help you because sometimes it's over our head. We have Celebrate Recovery. We have counseling centers. We have counselors. We have staff. We may not have all the answers, but we'll find people who do. We want you to understand there's freedom in Christ. And that when we understand that God loves us and we allow ourselves to worship Him, this is where you'll find peace. So maybe you've never done that today, and I would encourage you to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. To realize that your sins separated you from Him and that Jesus died on the cross and lived a perfect life for you. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus, Lord, and believe in your heart that He raised from the dead, and you go, what does that mean? Come talk to us in the next step space. But then the Bible says that's when you can be saved. And we want to make sure you understand it. We want you to understand what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus. It's not about actions, it's about the heart getting right with God. And then the actions will come. To those in the church, let's put down the masks. And let's give Jesus and the Spirit of God the keys to our soul. Let's let Him do some work, which means we've got to do our work and allow Him to grow there. When you confess your sins this week, take the time and try to analyze what caused you to sin. Dig deep. Grieve. Give it over to God and watch as new life begins to grow. Father, we take this time and give it to you. Help us to know the reasons that we look for to sin. Help us to know why we go the way we go and to do what we do. God, help us not to just have the intention of trying to find things to fill the void that is meant for you. Because you are what we need. Make that clear to us. Draw us into your presence. And fill us even now. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.